So good morning, Eastside family. We want to let our children, ages three through third grade, make their way in that direction to junior worship. The rest of you, please take your Bibles and turn back to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. And before we get into the passage, I want to mention to you a very important aspect of our worship to God, and that is our offering. We're making it possible for you to worship God in four different ways with your offering. You can mail a church to the check, to the, to the church. You can mail a check to the church address. You can give an automatic draft through your bank, which is quite easy to do. You can go online on our homepage. It says give. It can't be as, it's just as easy as that. Click on it, follow the easy instructions. Or if you're here with us in person, you can drop off your contribution right there at the box on the way out. And if you're not here with us in person, you're still with us. And we are absolutely delighted and humbled and honored that those of you who are um, in various places of the world or in our nation or here in our city, you're part of this family as you're live streaming with us. We're absolutely delighted to have you here. We're in Luke chapter 4. We're going to be looking only at verses 5 through 8. And just, I guess you might say, is by way of a reminder, is, is Luke is in his gospel, and he's, his whole objective is to make disciples, is to call us to follow Jesus very early in this, in this journey that he's taking us on, he wants us to realize that there is a very real enemy. He calls him, chapter 4, the devil. And he's accompanied by a host of demonic forces who very strategically, as we're seeing and will continue to see, and very aggressively are at work to destroy your life your family, your marriage, your children, this church, our nation, and most of all, your eternal soul. And to be honest with you, when I look around at some of the things that I hear and I see going on in our nation, in our world, and in people's lives, and even in my own life, I have no other explanation that makes sense to me other than there's something else at work, an evil force at work against us. And so Luke, early in his gospel, wants us to be aware of this enemy and he's showing us through this passage the strategy of Satan but also the strategy of Jesus in response to Satan so that we can avoid being caught in his trap. Now last week we looked, there's three temptations, last week we looked at the first of these three temptations and then we saw that the devil attacks us in our areas of weakness and, and vulnerability and that which we hunger and that which we crave for and I shared with you last week that if you were going to try to tempt me to sin you wouldn't use broccoli because I don't hunger for that, I don't crave that, that's not of interest to me but if you wanted to really be effective in attempting to to tempt me to sin, you would be more effective with cherry, no, not just cherry frosted Pop-Tarts, but toasted cherry frosted Pop-Tarts with, with, um, with butter melting over the top. Well, I said that on Sunday, the very next day on VBS, I had a, a number bring me some boxes of cherry frosted Pop-Tarts. 
And I'm, I'm taking that not as a temptation to sin, but as gracious gifts that were given to me. And, and realizing what happened, it made me realize that I forgot to mention something last week that even greater than Pop-Tarts, if you really <laughs> want to tempt me to sin, what would really be effective is a steak dinner at Longhorn Steakhouse. <laughs> I'm just saying... So back into the battlefield, and we are moving into the second temptation. These are so incredibly important. I just don't want to rush through this. I want us to look, spend a sunny on each one of them. And so we're on temptation number two, starting in verses five through eight. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all the authority and splendor it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So I I am going to say a lot today. But I want you, when you get in your car and you're trying to figure out what did he say, this is it. This is the main point I believe I'm seeing from this second temptation. The battlefield of temptation is the battlefield of the mind. It's on the screen, so not only are you hearing it, but hopefully you're also seeing it. Now let me explain to you what I mean by that. I want you to notice here the devil's, the devil's way or ability to communicate with us. And I see that here in two ways. First of all, to communicate with us, not only just to communicate, for the purpose of tempting us and influencing us. And there's two ways. First of all, it says the devil in verse 5 led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And you're going to see this in the next temptation. They'll be in our next lesson in this passage. It says that the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And so I walk away from that and I got lots of questions. And my questions sent around basically this idea, how did he do that? How did he lead Jesus in this way? And so I got lots of questions. You know, sometimes it's questions of the way you grow, the way you develop your faith. And so that's okay to wrestle with some of these questions. And my question comes from this idea is that though Satan is an invisible spiritual being, we know that to be a fact, did he in this moment take on a physical form? Did he take on a human form and there in that human form lead Jesus to these two different places? Did Jesus and Satan, did, he, did they actually leave this desert? Did they actually leave this wilderness and go to these two high places? Or, as a spiritual being, I'm asking, did Satan only take Jesus there in his thoughts? Where Jesus in his mind, did he carry him away in his mind where Jesus saw and experienced these moments of temptation the whole while he actually stayed in the wilderness? 
Now, the reason I'm asking that question, well, there's many reasons, but here's one of the main reasons. It says in verse 5 that the devil took him in, here in Luke chapter 4 to a high place. Matthew, in his parallel account, tells us that he took him to a very high mountain. Well, and there from that very high mountain, it says in an instant he saw all the kingdoms of the world. Well, if you kind of have an idea of where Jesus is in this story, and you know the geography of the land in this area, the highest peak, the highest mountain at this time was 1,200 feet with elevation. And so those who are what we might call Colorado snobs who are used to climbing 14ers that have 14,000 feet. Going to be looking at a mountain with 1,200 feet, kind of like Crocodile Dundee. You call that a knife? Seriously? You call that a mountain? So listen, physically, if I'm interpreting this story physically, you can't, from 1,200 feet, look out and see all the kingdoms of the world. You can't do that from 14,000 feet here in Colorado. You can't even do that from Mount Everest. So maybe I'm stretching you a little bit here, but I'm inclined to think that this wasn't actually a physical journey to this high mountain, a physical journey as we look out in the next temptation to the highest point in the temple, but I'm inclined to think that he carried Jesus to these places, somehow visualizing these things in his thoughts, in his minds. And now I'm wondering, does the Bible give any reference or credibility to that anywhere else? And so then I go to where we were some weeks before in Luke chapter 22. Maybe you remember this, where we read that Satan, it says, Satan entered Judas. John, in his exact parallel account of this moment, this is the Lord's Supper moment, as they were taking communion as we did with one of the disciples, it says Satan entered Judas. John says Satan entered Judas. So John, in his parallel account, says he prompted Judas. And so Satan somehow entered Judas for the purpose of influencing Judas to go and make arrangements to have Jesus arrested. So Again, I'm asking some questions. When it says he entered Judas, well, where in Judas did he go? Did he go in his leg? Did he, you know, obviously that's silly. Did he go in his stomach? Where in Judas did he go? And isn't it not quite clear that he went into Judas's thoughts? He entered his mind somehow communicating with him to do what was absolutely despicable. So that, that's the first thought I'm, I'm asking is, like, how is Satan leading Jesus? Is this physical or is it something else? I'm not seeing something physical. And then also I'm asking, secondly, is I'm looking how he communicates. In chapter 4 and verse 6, we're back in Luke chapter 4. After taking Jesus to this high place, it says here, he said to him, you see that in the previous temptation in verse 3. We saw this last week. The devil said to him. And we're going to see it in the next temptation. It says, he said. So take note of that. This invisible, evil, spiritual force out to destroy your life has the ability to speak and to communicate to you 
as he did with Jesus. Okay, so again, I'm sitting here going, okay, well, how does he do that? Does he do it like it's happening right now? Did he, did he audibly speak to Jesus in such a way that Jesus heard him speaking as the way that you're hearing me speaking right now? Or was he speaking to him in his mind, giving him thoughts like it sure seems like he did with Judas? From what I see in Scripture, I think both are, both are possible. So, so think about your life experiences. Because I started, when I was wrestling through this, I thought, oh, I, is that not at play in my life? Has it ever happened to you that you're in the middle of a sermon and your mind wanders? No. Of course it does. Has your mind and your thoughts ever wandered to a place that wasn't very good? And your thoughts began to be about some really bad things? Have you been, been just doing whatever and all of a sudden some nasty thought just comes into your mind? Where's that from? What's going on there? Last week I shared with you that the, the lies that we talked about, the lies that the devil uh, tells us. I'm not saying you're crazy and you're hearing voices, all right? But do you ever hear those lies? Hear them? Remember we talked about it last week. You're a nobody, you're ugly, you're stupid. You're a failure. You're not a good person. You'll never change. You're not a good husband. You're not a good wife. You, you really ought to do this. You deserve this. Do you ever hear that? Not audibly. Maybe audibly, but not necessarily audibly. Are you ever in a jam, in a situation, and it just the thought comes to mind, I really ought to lie right now. And then even in that moment, you start visualize and experience in your thoughts that conversation with someone of how you would tell that lie. Has that ever happened to you? Maybe I'm the only one. I don't think so. I've been in conversations with people in my thoughts before. There'll be times, listen, while I'm on a walk and I'm praying for someone that I'm really having a hard time with, maybe in the enemy category, pray for your enemy, and while I am praying for them, the next thing you know, my mind has taken me out of that prayer, and I am in a conversation with that person, and I am telling them off, and they're like, oh, I'm supposed to be praying. Have you ever done that? Thought crosses your mind, Eddie, what, Daryl? said about you what he did and the thought occurs after church I'm going to tell Alan about that where is that from oh no I'm not just telling Alan when I get in that parking lot I'm going to get and all of a sudden I'm having that conversation with Daryl and I can just see myself pummeling he's our preacher you ever visualize stuff like that? You ever had conversations like that? I have. You ever visualized 
someone sexually that you're not married to? And you can just see and imagine that moment? The Bible tells us that's very real. The Bible calls it lust. And so I'm going in those moments. Is that just me? And is that just my sinful nature? Or is what I'm seeing here at play in my life? Is it somehow the devil leading me? Somehow the devil speaking to me and communicating to me and carrying me away and helping me to visualize something to carry it out? So, I, I don't know. I don't know in that moment, oh, that's me? Oh, oh that must be the devil. I don't know. But I know that both, I believe, are possible. And I, 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 I wanted you to understand, I'm not trying to blame everything on the devil. Well, it's not me, that's not me, that's the devil, that's the devil. Um, but I believe that Luke is showing us that it could be. And we need to be aware of that strategy. Now, now for some of us... Um, I think we do enough good enough job sinning and, and giving into our sinful nature. The devil doesn't have to do this. He's looking at us going, man, they're doing such a great job. Let's leave him alone. He's, he's sinning just fine without, without our help. But I believe that we see in this passage that I believe that while I believe the demonic force is spiritual beings, I believe this, biblically speaking, have the ability to take on physical form and human form and communicate audibly. I believe that's possible. But I also believe that we see here, it sure seems clear to me, that they can influence us in the spiritual world, in our minds, and in our thoughts. I believe that what I see here is that the battlefield of temptation is the battlefield of the mind. So now that's really troubling. <laughs> and here's why it's really troubling. Because if it's physical stuff going on in the physical world, to some large degree, I can deal with that physically. Because I can walk away from some of you all. Or I can wake a, walk away from this situation. Or, or I can turn that off. But I can't turn this off. There's not a button that says, thoughts stop. I can't take my hand where the battle is at play in my mind. And I just, I wish I could reach in there and pull that out. Or can I? Okay, so Luke 4 is our text. I'm going to take you a little bit to 2 Corinthians. I've given it to you in your life groups to kind of kind of talk about and discuss but let me show you how I see this at play in 2nd Corinthians to kind of help support what I'm trying to tell you then we'll come back to Luke chapter 4 the church in Corinth Corinthians written to the church in Corinth they were having incredible problems this church was under attack thus 2nd Corinthians was written to deal with it but as you read through the whole letter and I encourage you to do this in your life group or on your own you're going to see that the attack was not just Christians against Christians sadly that happens it wasn't just non-Christians against on the outside attacking Christians on the inside that certainly happens but but Paul in 2nd Corinthians very very clearly identifies Satan and the work of Satan as the force behind the problems in the church in Corinth 
So, for example, I'm just going to jump around and grab a few verses to, to make this point. Especially in chapters 10 and 11, he really hammers this well. He identifies those as leading the attack on the church. He calls them false apostles. And I'm quoting, masquerading. They have costumes. We talked about this last week. They have costumes. They're masquerading as an angel of light. And so then, in, in verse 14, Paul goes and right in chapter 11, it's no wonder for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It's not surprising then if his servants, that's what they're called, his servants, the devil's servants, also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Do you see that? Those leading the attack on the church in Corinth were leading it from within in the masquerade, in the costume of good Christians, when in reality they were bringing the church down, they were hurting the church, and they were ser servants, Paul tells us, of the devil being led by him. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, there's another verse that kind of brings this idea. In, in, in Speaking of this conflict and this attack on the church, Paul writes, the God of this age, that's Satan, the God of this age, listen to this, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Where is the attack? He's messing with their heads. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. It's a battlefield of the thoughts. Then I go back. I'm sorry, I'm jumping around here. But in, in chapter 11 and verse 3, Paul writes this. And speaking of this conflict, he says, I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent, that's the devil, as just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds, what's he speaking of here? Your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. The battlefield of temptations for the Christians in Corinth was the battlefield of the mind and leading the charge was the devil. And last week I, I mentioned this, I, I think it was I asked the question, as I look around at some of the crazy stuff happening in our nation and in people's lives and in our world, I'm sitting here going... Man, have we just lost our minds? Well, in a sense, yeah. Our minds are being attacked. Or being influenced. Or being led. Or being ca taken captive by an evil force. And so the question is, can we do anything about that? Yeah. Yeah. 2 Corinthians, we're still there, haven't left there yet. We can. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 and 5. In the midst of this spiritual attack, this warfare against the devil and demonic forces, he says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. Why? Because it's not a physical, worldly fight. And secondly, because the weapons of this world are not sufficient our capabilities, our strength are not enough. He goes on to write, of the weapons that we fight with, he says, on the contrary, they have divine power. That's spiritual, not physical. It's not my fist. They have divine power to demolish 
strongholds. In the context of 2 Corinthians, those strongholds are strongholds in my thoughts, in my mind. He goes on to write, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Do we not see in our world today arguments and pretensions that are setting themselves up against the knowledge of God? This is so relevant. Paul goes on to write, listen to this, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. It's here in the mind. So, great. Take those thoughts captive. (laughs) How do you do that? Back now to our text in Luke chapter 4. Jesus models for us how to take those thoughts captive because see here's the problem I can't turn them off I can't pull them out and lock them in a box but you watch how Jesus responds in his strategy in response to Satan we saw this actually in in, in lesson two of this series and this is incredibly important it mentions it three times in this story. Jesus was full of the Spirit. Jesus was led by the Spirit. In verse 14, at the end of it all, he was empowered by the Spirit. And we noticed in, in lesson two of this series that Jesus' empowerment of the Holy Spirit was enabled through fervency, the fervency of prayer. He was fasting. It is, you see this, guys, all over Scripture. Look in the book of Acts. The working of the Holy Spirit was, could I say, triggered by, enabled by the prayers of God's people. It is when God's people are engaged in fervent prayer that we see the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, you see, is on the inside where this battle is taking place and giving us strength and power to deal with what our hands cannot get to. And in this church, when we are people of prayer, that the Holy Spirit works powerfully in our lives. And so this shows us what Paul's talking about in Ephesians chapter 6 when he's talking about spiritual warfare, when he says you need to pray just all the time. That's engaging the Spirit's power. But there's a second way that Jesus takes captive these thoughts in this passage. As we see, as these thoughts, as these temptations are coming against him, he is firing back, if I could say it like that, with Scripture. By using what Paul describes in Ephesians chapter 6 as the word of God. And I love the way Hebrews 4 says, let me tell you about the word of God. It can get places where you can never get to. It can go, it can penetrate into the innermost being of your thoughts and your mind where the battle is at place. And it can counter the lies and the attacks of Satan with the truths of God's word. So church, this shows us the, the incredible important role That God's word plays in spiritual warfare. And so, I believe that we see here what I'm calling the, in this story of Jesus, the battlefield of the mind where the attack is occurring. Satan is leading Jesus. He's speaking to Jesus. He leads, he speaks, he guides us if we so allow it. All for the purpose of influencing Jesus, but Jesus is responding with a counterattack by the power of the Spirit 
through prayer and the power of God's word. Now, just a few short words about this temptation and then we're done. In this particular temptation, he shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he says to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone, you, anyone I want if you worship me. It'll all be yours. Do you hear that? Sometimes. It'll all be yours. You see, as the God of this age, as the ruler or prince of darkness, as Satan has described, he has power, though limited and restricted, to to give things to us. To offer people worldly riches, power, fame, or whatever they may crave. But that's not because he's generous. That's because he's seeking to distract us from the journey Jesus is calling us on. Now here is the real tricky part about this temptation. It was promised and prophesied in the Old Testament. For example, read Daniel chapter 7. That the Messiah would have world dominion and rule over all kingdoms. And so that's what Satan is offering Jesus. Satan is offering Jesus simply what was already promised and prophesied that he would have, except Satan is offering it his way, not God's way. Why follow the Father's plan for your life, Jesus, which involves suffering and, and the cross? Why don't you skip that? You ever been there? Why don't you just skip the suffering and the cross and you can just have it all right now like this? Why do things God's way? You can have it all right now and I can give it to you. What is that? It's the temptation of immediate gratification. You can have it now. Move God aside. It's yours. Do we not see that all around us? And then really the more important question is, do you see it happening in your own life? Do you find yourself tempted to set aside God's way? Because there's a different way to get what you want. To set aside or move God down from his high place in your life. To compromise your faith. To chase after all that the kingdoms of this world have to offer. All this can be yours. It's kind of like a fish chasing after a shiny lure. Not realizing he's just playing right into the hands of someone who's wanting to destroy his life. Jesus says it's, it's worship and service to Satan, though it happens unknowingly. I believe this is very real. And so as we face the daily attack and the temptation of all that the world offers, and that's a mistake to think it's just all that the world offers behind it, all that Satan offers. In verse 8, Jesus in the power of the Spirit with the power of God's word, demonstrates for us the appropriate 
combative response. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Whatever the cost, whatever the sacrifice, whatever the suffering, whatever the weight, I will worship and serve God only. Would you stand? Let's pray. While this story and these thoughts, Father, that I have shared are quite, would I say, frightening or daunting or intimidating, we thank you that you have given us the Holy Spirit and your word as a combative response to these forces of evil. Help us to be aware of them. Help us to take captive the thoughts that are con- in conflict within. And let us, let us be immersed in and to know and to live by the truths of your word. Guide us as disciples to make disciples of all nations helping defeat the forces of Satan in this world by bringing Jesus Christ to the lives of others. We're going to continue in prayer, and and as we do so, I'm going to ask that our shepherds make themselves available to to pray with you. If you're carrying a burden on your heart, then I'm going to ask you to reach out to one of our shepherds or to one of them and just uh, ask them to pray with you. I know for certain... um, Most all of us are being attacked in some way. Prayer is a a combative response, and I want us to do that this morning. And, And as we pray, I also want to ask that we pray with Skylar, although she's, she's not with us. She's back in the back. So I want to ask that um, the nearest shepherd would come, um, and I guess that's Jake, that would be you. If you would come and pray with Jean and Carolyn uh, during that time of prayer for Skylar and for them as they help her to continue growing her faith. And then Ted and Jackie, I'm going to ask you to step three rows behind you to Barbara Mavity. Barbara has come this morning with a very heavy burden. She's asked me to share with the church and for prayers. She uh, has been diagnosed with a, a very serious degree, I guess you might say, of dementia. And it's going to bring about a lot of big life changes for her. She needs her family this morning to surround her in prayer. And there's many of others of us carrying those burdens. Let's go before God now in prayer. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the senior minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.